I think that students do have to have the skills to evaluate the reputation and credibility of a source. So when they are looking at the output of ChatGPT, they have to ask themselves, does this seem reasonable? And that way they can evaluate it. It, it, it can't be taken simply from ChatGPT, put into assignment and, and submitted to a professor. They really have to critically look at it to see if it seems reasonable. Just because there's an output doesn't mean it's right. This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business Blog. To learn more, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu slash news. Welcome. I'm Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast for Lehigh University's College of Business. Today is April 3rd, 2023, and we're talking with Greg Ryman and Kathy Ridings about the implications and possible impact of generative artificial intelligence, or AI, on universities and students. Dr. Ryman is Lehigh University's Vice Provost for Library and Technology Services. In this role, Greg provides strategic, budgetary, and organizational leadership of Lehigh's Library and Technology Services, an organization that includes the Center for Innovation and Teaching and Learning and Information Security Services. Thank you for being with us on Illuminate today, Greg. Hey, thanks for the invitation. Appreciate appreciate it. Dr. Ridings is an associate professor in the College of Business's Department of Decision and Technology Analytics, or DATA for short. Her primary research interest is virtual communities, including social networks, social capital, trust, knowledge management, and electronic commerce in this context. She also has secondary research interests in technology adoption and acceptance. Welcome to Illuminate, Kathy. Thank you for having me. Now, between OpenAI's ChatGPT, which is followed just this month by ChatGPT4, uh, Google's Bard, and Microsoft's Bing, among others, what's known as generative AI has been all over the news recently and generating considerable debate in the process. I'd like to start with a simple definition of what generative AI is, and I found this one in a recent Reuters News Service Explainer. Like other forms of artificial intelligence, generative AI learns how to take actions from past data. It creates brand new content, a text, an image, even computer code based on that training, instead of simply categorizing or identifying data like other AI. So with that as our working definition, let's start with a survey that was conducted recently by Educause, a nonprofit association whose mission is to advance higher education through the use of information technology. And Greg, I know you're familiar with that as a member of Educause. Now, the greatest concerns about generative AI expressed by higher educational professionals who took the survey were, in order, Academic integrity, or cheating, which was named by three out of four respondents. Over-reliance or trust in outputs, which are the search results and contents generated by AI. Inaccurate outputs and AI-generated content becoming indistinguishable from and replacing human content. Each of these were named as one of their greatest concerns by 60% or more of the respondents. So let's start at the top. 
How concerned are each of you about the threat AI poses to academic integrity at Lehigh and elsewhere? And Greg, why don't you start with this one? Okay, be happy to. Um, I want to start with a, a story from about one of my students. So I'm currently teaching a course uh, called Philosophy and Technology. So in addition to my administrative role at Lehigh, I also teach and teach and research in this space. And um, when I had my students go out and, and do some research on their own as 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 ChatGPT and other generative AI tools were getting a lot of press, I said, you know, go go do your own research, go dig, dig into what's happening in this space around um, generative AI and and higher education. And when they came back, um, there was one student who looked particularly crestfallen. I said, what's going on? And she said, I was surprised that with this with this exciting sort of remarkable remarkable transformational technology that the first thing people are worried about is is academic integrity now i want to give credit to you know uh, acknowledgement to this as a concern because I, I can understand if, if depending on how you are assessing your students this can be a real real concern but i just you know putting ourselves in the students shoes um what she said to me was you know since sixth grade we've had some way or another of cheating if we chose to do it and her comment was, and this may be overly general, but she said, those of us in the room are the ones who have chosen not to do that. We could find the answers to uh, the, the, the questions that were in the back of the book. Um, you know, there, there's there's already uh, essay writing, essay collection platforms out there. So um, it, it, she was kind of getting at this idea of like, give us a little more credit. And and I, I understand why, you know, that that might not extend to every student in every situation. But um, I, I, it's the other ones that uh, the other elements that Educause pulls out that are more interesting to me around like the over-reliance on trust and outputs. In other words, if when does generative AI generate something that's um, not useful or not not reliable and we wouldn't want students to to ever lean on it? Um, when are the outputs inaccurate? Right. When when um, how, how can we use this as a brand new tool to help supercharge our research as opposed to worrying about that it's going to replace our research? And I think that faculty who approach it that way and talk about this tool with their students and you know recognize um, recognize what it what it can and can't do in in your discipline, because it's very it's very discipline specific and then encourage students to compare what they can do against what. AI, the generative AI tools can do. I know one faculty member who uh, gave an assignment to students and then it plugged it in the chat GPT and shared the result. And base, basically that was baseline and said, if you can't do better than this, right, then, <laughs> then, then you've got, you've got some more work to do. So I, my advice, I guess, on this is not, not pretend that this, this tool doesn't exist out there, acknowledge it with your students, talk about it. How can it be a tool? How can it, how can it augment your intelligence and, and your research? Uh, but not um, not automatically worry that it's gonna that it's gonna replace all the kinds of activities that you most value and what your students do. Uh, I agree with a lot of what what Greg said. Uh, honestly, every technological advance brings academic integrity threats, right? Like simply having the internet come online and Google come online were tools that students can use to uh, plagiarize or cheat. Um, so I I look at this as you know yet another technology advance that sure, students could use to commit academic integrity violations. And, and as professors, we have to understand what this is and maybe redesign our assignments or the way our class is structured. So it's not so easy for students to use this, but you know we do have to be aware of it. And, and as Greg said, I, I, I like to give students credit to, uh, you know, hope that they want to learn at Lehigh and, and produce their own work for me. I'm not going to stick my head in the sand and say, ignore it. I'm not going to blanket tell my students not to use it, but instead uh, look at it as a tool that they could 
uh, use in a certain way, and I'm going to educate them about that. I think uh, you know professors always have the opportunity to have um, assessments um, in class without outside help or sources um, that students could uh, you know would would be forced to do their own work. But we we have to be aware of this as yet another technology that's come out. Um, that can threaten academic integrity, but could also be something the students use to to help them produce better uh, better uh, work products and better assignments for us. All right, now, Greg, you had mentioned the um, uh, the, the second leading concern, which uh, for, for you would actually rate ahead of academic integrity, and that's the either over reliance or trust in what comes out of generative AI. What are some of the main concerns you have there with how reliable the information is, particularly at this stage? You know, I think everybody understands it's probably going to keep getting better. Yeah, and, and that's a fair point, Jack. It, it, it is going to keep getting better. And uh, so our whatever conclusions we draw this month, we're going to have to revisit and draw different ones next month. But I think the general idea, I would say, is, uh, you know, there's a word that there's a phrase, I should say, that... Um, that gets probably overused in higher education, but maybe underappreciated about critical thinking, right? When, whenever we right. see a source, whether this is, you know, folks listening to this podcast should double check everything I say, right? Not take it, not take it for a final, final answer to any of these questions. Uh, when, as Professor Riding said, when you Google something, right, the first answer that comes up isn't necessarily the right answer, the best answer. When you read something in an academic article, you don't just default to it and say, here's truth, right? So there's an, I, my worry is that there's this, there's this, um, tendency in users be, because we're accustomed to getting fully accurate answers back from a computer right when i if i use excel spreadsheet to calculate a, a sum or run some formula down a column i don't double check that right i trust that that's going to give me the right answer if i if i've done it if i've done it right right all that math is going to be good it's what computers are extraordinarily good at mm-hmm. right so when that illusion of uh, when that trust gets carried over into a new space because i'm interacting with the same computer same interface um i think that's a mistake right and and people who have uh come to ChatGPT with that kind of skepticism very quickly learn the limits of what it's able to do. And again, I don't want to be a naysayer because I, there are, are also truly wonderful things that it can do that will drop your jaw and have you scratch your head and think, how, how is this possible? What is this doing? And and uh, and wow, we should appreciate those wow moments with technology when it, when it arrives. And we should also keep our critical thinking caps on, right? And say, hold on, that that one's not quite right. That That, that doesn't sound accurate to me. Um, and it doesn't take too long if you if you if you see it as a dialogue instead of as a, a you know ask a question get an answer um, that's a that's a better approach to this right you ask it a question about some subject that you know a lot about and see what it, see what it comes up with and you'll notice the cracks in, in what it's able to do I gave it I gave it a, a, um, an exercise with my students where I, I I had my students come up with a um, an annotated bibliography. It sounds like an old school approach there, but annotated <laughs> bibliography on research around ChatGPT and education or generative AI and education. They came up with some great sources, and then I I I plugged the same um, question into uh, into ChatGPT and I I challenged them to say what's the what's uh, compare what you came up with with what it came up with, and they they had positive things to say about about uh, both right. There were different kinds of answers, and uh, you know the grammar was flawless in ChatGPT. The um, uh, it sounded highly professional, very polished, um, very persuasive. And then I pointed out to them that six it had given me given us seven results, and six of the seven were academic articles that don't actually exist, some of them in journals that don't actually exist. 
So that's wow. the biggest. Yeah, absolutely. So you can go go test this out for yourself. If you have an account on this, ask it to give you some citations on sources on on some subject and then go go you know do some old fashioned library work and go cross check those sources. And uh, it if you think about the way that this this technology works, it is um, it's giving you back what is likely to be a true kind of answer that you that you give it. And in some cases, it does remarkably a remarkably good job at this. But what it's really giving you is these are really good fictional examples of what an article would look like. Right. It's really smart at coming up with this, but it's but it's not it's factually false in the field. They call this hallucinations where um, some other uh, some other people call it bullshitting. Right. So excuse excuse the language, Jack. I'm not sure what you're what you're rated on your podcast here, but um <laughs> And 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 it's it's in the it's in the sense. There's actually a philosopher, Harry Frankfurt, who wrote this great book called On Bullshit, where he talks about what's what's worrying about BS is that it's uh it doesn't care if it's true or not. It just sounds professional. It sounds right, right. And we've all we know colleagues like this, right? We know yeah. you know families like this who who can sound like they know what they're talking about, but they actually don't. And that's what you you learn to distrust someone like that, or you ask follow up questions, and it's in the follow up questions that you discover whether that system or person knows. What, is, what they're talking about. So that's what I would come back to folks with. Come to it with that kind of critical mindset, ask those follow-up questions, cross-check what you get back from it. And in some cases, it, it'll be incredibly helpful and it'll do research for you faster than you could do that research yourself in some areas. Other kinds of things, it's just not, it's just not there. And I'll always say it's just not there maybe yet. Ask me again in six months, Jax. We'll see how it's doing on those. Okay. And Kathy, the things in the AI-generated results that concern you. Uh, a lot of the same things that Greg talked about, uh, the hallucinations are are all over the internet, right? You can you can Google those and and find out things that people have gotten ChatGPT to produce that are just you know crazy wrong. Um, I think that students do have to have the skills to evaluate the reputation and credibility of a source, and mm-hmm. and and I make a big point of this in my uh, courses when I have my students write papers. Um, you know, part of their grade is when I look at the bibliography that they're, they have sources on that are credible and have a reputation, a solid reputation. And I think this is a critical skills, uh, skill that students need to have. And, and, you know, this existed even before chat GPT. So when they are looking at the output of chat GPT, they have to ask themselves, does this seem reasonable? Um, and that way they can evaluate it. It, it. it can't be taken simply from chat GPT, put into assignment and, and submitted to a professor. They really have to critically look at it to see if it seems reasonable. Um, I, I, a lot of my um, classes that I teach involve coding where students write their own code. And I, and I do the same thing in those assignments. You know, it's your own code. And when it produces an answer, look at it critically. Does it make sense? Could there be a mistake in your code. Um, you know, just because there's an output doesn't mean it's right. Um, we have to look at the same, uh, we have to look at the output of chat GPT with the same eye. Now, following up on that, um, because I think they they seem related to me at least, that we had a, a crystal clear example of this um, just uh, a week or so ago, where AI generated photos showing former President Trump being arrested even though he hadn't yet even been indicted, swept over the internet with many people thinking the images were real, convinced that you know the former president had been arrested and there were photos of it. 
So as it becomes increasingly difficult to tell AI-generated content from human content, what, what issues does that raise for each of you? And Kathy, why don't you pick up there? Well, that's a good example. If you're, if you're looking at a picture that, and, and there's, you know, a couple different examples of this as well. You can, you can um, Google examples where we've changed a few, you know, uh, several pixels in a picture that to the human eye, the picture doesn't change, but a AI algorithm will think it's something completely different. Um, so this goes to the case where the, a, the, the underlying AI algorithm could be doing things that we aren't aware of as humans or that our brains can't process. Um, and it's, it's simply a case again of fact checking and cross validating uh, pictures or statements. Um, when you see something saying to yourself, is this reasonable? Let me see what else is out there. Let me validate this with reputable sources so I can assess whether that's, this is true or not. Again, it's a critical skill that our students need to, to work on while they're at Lehigh and develop. So when they get out in the business world, they can rely on this. Yeah, I'll, I'll pick up on that and just underscore a hundred times what, what Kathy <laughs> just said. Um, the, seeing, seeing, seeing has never been believing and seeing, and uh, right. And uh, we like to say that seeing is believing, but you know, what research is all about is, is going past what seems apparent at first glance. Right. So that's a skill to teach any any person. Right. How do you sometimes the world we see as we think we see it, as we think we understand it, as it's presented to us uh, is mistaken in various ways or is deliberately manipulated in, in various ways. And so, I mean, just you can think of 100 different examples from your own life. I mean, it you know, you don't see this as much anymore, but for a period of time, you, we all had. You know, that aunt or uncle who would send us the, the uh, forward, the, you know, the hoax emails without cross-checking them first. And um, right. And but anybody who is familiar with that space understands that you just do a quick Google search and you can probably find a couple couple moments where this is has already been identified as a hoax. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think it's it's a little bit also uh, you hope that people no longer just buy it and then amplify it by reposting, retweeting or or sharing it. Um, that that would be one, I think, area of responsibility. But then I think, given the fact that people do just see something that aligns with what they hope is true and then share it, um, you then also want to elevate people's you know, critical response to that. So any, I mean, it's going to get to the point where any image in any video that you take is going to have to be validated um, by, you know, through multiple approaches. And how you do that is going to vary depending on what the type of image it is, right? If it's a there's ways to find out whether Trump actually got indicted. There's whether there's ways to find out whether the Pope actually wore that puffy jacket. That was another re recent example that, right. that 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 was it was interesting. One of my students brought that up to me as one that that he said he hadn't been concerned about this until he saw that one. He said it was so good, and it was, it was somehow the way it came into his his information space, it was he was persuaded by it. And uh, but again, on the internet, we should have we should have that cautionary approach regularly and then we should as as kathy said we should have have some tools for at least validating the obvious ones right and i think i think that can get us a long way where we even just that first step of saying pause <laughs> you know investigate a little bit and see what you can find out about this before you take something as true um there will be more complicated ones that are going to get harder than that right and again that's what research is is about and sometimes you have to suspend your your judgment on things until you can really dig in deeper but for the most part i think you can find out relatively relatively quickly 
my my bigger worry on that, I think, is that sometimes, right, the um, sometimes a, a a lie sticks sticks in people's heads longer than the truth does, right? Yeah. So even even if it's debunked, people still have that image in their mind, and that can shape opinion, that can shape uh, perspectives, and again on 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 countless things, and that's why we want to. That's why we want to be able to rely on institutions and other people and and conversation and dialogue and research to to try to get to some place where we feel like um what what is what is the what is the picture of uh somewhat somewhat closer to truth than uh than we might get to just by accepting what's out there at first glance. In addition to the concerns, Educause also asked higher education professionals about the greatest opportunities related to generative AI use. And clearly there are some some pretty amazing opportunities here. So we do want to talk about some of the, the positive things to look forward to there as well. And the top answer selected by 77% of respondents was improved efficiency of human work that they think is the, the greatest opportunity that generative AI offers. But I found it kind of interesting that only 51% compared to 77% listed improved quality of human work as one of the greatest opportunities. So I find that gap between efficiency and quality of human work to be interesting. And I wonder, what do you think it tells us? I, I think the the efficiency part um means that AI-generated results give both students and faculty, and let's face it, the the business world, the opportunity to um, have AI automate repetitive and time-consuming tasks um, that we, you know, we all have to do that we don't necessarily like. Um, You know, for, for in in my case, it's grading, right? I don't like grading. I don't know any professor that likes grading. I would love to have an AI grade all my student student work. but by the same token, um, even though the AI could take over these mundane and rote tasks, um, the AI may not give us the same level of quality, right, that I might put into my grading or another task. Um, it, it gives me perhaps the chance if, if the AI is taking over those, those uh, repetitive tasks for me to do other things with uh, more time and more attention so I could be more creative in other things. Um, I think that as the AI models advance and get better, the quality will get better. Um, and the survey's results tell us that the AI isn't necessarily the same quality now as human humans produce, but I think that will change and the, and the AI quality will get better. But I think people are recognizing that the AI quality of work just isn't exactly the same as human work. I agree with that, and I think it's that that iterative process of ass- using it, assessing what it, what it can do and what it can't do, and then I would I would say on top of that, add the what is it that that we still need to rely on a human being to do. So I would I would like like Kathy, yes, grading grading can be very onerous, um, and I agree that it would, wouldn't it be great if we had a system that could reliably grade our our students' work, but then I think. Um, I would like, I would, I would, I would say instead, let's let, have them grade the stuff that it doesn't require the best of what I have to offer, 
right? So the best of what I have to offer doesn't come out in grading a multiple choice test, right? We have Scantrons to do that or automatic online systems to do that, right? Nobody, nobody's concerned about that. But I want to get the highest level work for my students. And that's where the engagement of my brain and 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 my education matters with the engagement of their brain and their education. And right. And that that's to me that, that it just focusing on the educational context that that's what's exciting is if it can free up more time for the higher quality writing the higher quality work by students and the higher quality feedback and guidance from faculty members right we don't have to spend our time giving the same feedback to 100 different students because they made the same calculation problem right we that that's a waste of my time it's a waste of the students time because it would take a long time to get that feedback if you so if, i would think for every discipline if you can identify what are the you know what are the quote unquote, lower level skills that students do need to pick up on, but they might not require a PhD to give them feedback on how to get better at it. It becomes almost like a mini TA that they can very quickly get an answer for. And in conversations with students, that's what a lot of them are using it for already. Like, can you explain this process to me, right? How would this apply in this situation? Asking those kinds of questions that if you had a TA by your side, you would ask them automatically, but right? We don't have one-on-one -on -one TA to student ratios or faculty to student ratios. So I think filling in that opportunity for quick feedback, quick timely um, adjustment to how a student's learning something, and then freeing up the time for that higher level um, higher level blank, whatever that blank is in your discipline, um, where you really do want to spend your time helping a student with that nuance where what you have to offer is something that the AI can't offer. That's That's what's exciting to me about the future of this. Um, I'll just say one other thing, Jack, because I think you're also talking about um, in you know in the future of work, right? And one of my students said right. this the other day. They said if you know if if all we, if the best we can do is what you know if, if any profession out there, the best that we can do is is just what's being done by ChatGPT. Well, then that job is not going to exist anymore in in ten years, and that should that should worry us, right? Because um, those are those are some good jobs. Those are some some jobs that employ creative creative people. But I think uh, you know the good the good companies are going to be the ones that you know superpower their em employees with you know what I, sometimes Chris Didi from uh, from college of uh, some from the um, Harvard uh, School of Education likes to flip it and talk about augmented intelligence, right? Um, um, instead of instead of or intelligence augmentation instead of artificial intelligence, right? So how can we think if those are things that this system can do, this generative AI system can do, then what can I do on top of that that's going to be a value add that um, that it can't yet do? And I think always kind of operating in that space is going to be where um, some of the most interesting work gets done. Yeah, I'd like to, to, to follow up on that with, with, with Kathy, because, you know, obviously as faculty in the business college and, um, you know, business information systems, Clearly, you you must be getting you know some concern from your students about the the future of jobs and business and you know which ones are going to thrive, which ones might be in danger of disappearing. So, what are your thoughts on that? I think students are recognizing that you know AI is going to come in and, and change the workplace. Um, I tell the students, um, you know, ex essentially two things: uh, they should understand the basics of how AI works. Uh, a big part of AI has to deal with the data that it's trained on. Um, so understanding the, that that data can have bias and error in it. Um, and if it does, the output could have bias and error. So I think applying AI in business, um, they, they need to understand how the AI works and they need to know that the data behind the AI is critical. Um, and then knowing um, that they can, position themselves to use AI in business 
and, and almost all business functions, right, are going to be able to be to benefit from AI. And the students could be the value add to the company by knowing how to apply AI in the company. Um, I just came back from a conference where industry professionals were talking about the use of chatbots. So it was a very specific conference just focused on AI um, chatbots and conversations, AI conversations in many different business contexts. And it was really fascinating um, talking about how AI is going to permeate all different kinds of business functions in the chatbot area. Our students need to understand how to effectively use AI to manage and lead in, in business. So they could be the business value add on how to apply AI to the business. Um, and in addition, you know, to follow up on what, what Greg said, um, the AI could be used to, to automate the, you know, time consuming rote things and they could be uh, then freed, the, the students in, in, in business could then be freed to do the more interesting value add things that they didn't have time to do before to advance the business in, in better ways because the AI is there to augment their work. So those things that um, Lehigh has emphasized uh, for a very long time now, creativity and critical thinking, as Greg had talked about at the beginning, become far more valuable to, the, to business as well as in the academic world. And actually, when I, whenever I ask her, uh, employers when they come to the business school and I, you know, I'm teaching um, information systems, business information systems majors and analytics majors. And I ask employers, you know, what are you looking for in students? What kind of skills do you want students to have? And no one ever says, I want students to program in Java or program in Python or be able to run a machine learning, you know, uh, uh, model. You know, the first thing they always say is critical thinking skills. They want students who are going to have solid problem-solving critical thinking skills. And the second thing they say is typically communication skills. They want students to be able to effectively communicate. Um, and, and, you know, they do are looking, of course, for students who have the technical skills, but that's typically not at the top of their list. Right. Yeah, I, I pick, pick, pick up on that real quick, and I, you know, got to got to give a plug into uh, Lehigh Business for this, right? That that that's what we that's our promise to students and and parents, right, and employers, right? That that we're we're preparing you on both, and encouraging people not to be in a full either or thinking, right? You yes, you have to learn a lot of the technical background. Yes, you have to learn how you know the the equations and the models and all these other things or whatever is in your field, but it you you can't just be that. Right, you have to be that plus, and that plus comes out in these things that um, you know, communication skills, critical thinking skills, collaborative skills, and just to pick up on on what Kathy said that that what sometimes is called the black box problem of the AI system. If if you as a company are relying on the data that gets fed into a system and it's spitting out answers for you, and you just swallow those whole, uh, you're going to be in trouble, right? Because um, it's 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 not a it's again it's not like a summing a summing a column in a spreadsheet. It, it is a much more nuanced than that, and it, it will oftentimes give you back what you want to hear. And um, it's trained it's trained to give give you back the the most common answer to that question. And well, sometimes business don't want the most common answer to that question, right? They want something unique. They want something that's customized. They want something that's tailored, that's responsive to current situations, and that takes a lot lot more. Um, aggregation of information and perspectives and and humanistic thinking than than the AI systems currently can do. So again, I, I think about this as you know in, when I think about preparing students, um, 
let them learn how to use these tools, let them learn how to use them to deepen, deepen what they're able to do, but simultaneously, you know, sort of cultivate that voice in their head, in their head that says that there are limitations to this. And if I lean too hard on this, um, it, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to do the things that uh, an employer will want. I'm not going to be able to do the things that that's uh, the right thing to do uh, to get a, to get a good solid answer, a good solid product or whatever it is that we're aiming towards. Now there's, there's one more topic I'd like to, make sure we uh, cover before we wrap up here, and that's um, policies and standards. Uh, universities and colleges across the country are starting to look at this, and I'm just wondering, what is Lehigh's approach to that? Or are there policies and standards that need to be addressed with generative AI advancing? I'll, I'll, I'll pick up on that one to start. Um, so about 10 years ago, a group of faculty, staff, librarians, uh, technologists got together to um, ask a similar question around um, around academic integrity and standards for uh, for around student use, and so we're reconvening a group to look at this, uh, to look at you know, do, does there need to be a modification in our policy around academic integrity? What counts as appropriate use, inappropriate use, and then you know that always has two sides. There's always two sides of that coin. One is educating our students around that, so they're aware of what's acceptable and um, and. The, the easy answer is always ask your professor, right? Because it really is it really is different from course to course, discipline to discipline, professor to professor. Um, and then the other side of that coin is uh, conversations with with professors. So in the Center for Innovation and Teaching and Learning, we work a lot with librarians, instructional technologists, instructional designers to help faculty think through these questions that, that it might, for some faculty member, this is, this is what they do. Others, this is quite new. So trying to think about what, what is an assignment that will, that will tee students up in the right way? What is a way to talk about students and prepare them, prepare them for this. But in terms of policy, Lee, hasn't come out with any, any specific policy. There was an email right at the start of the semester from Provost Urban uh, that, that hit the tone that I think we're talking about today, which is uh, this is uh, you know, this isn't going anywhere. This is this is a, a technology in its infancy, encouraging people to really uh, under you know think about it, apply it into the disciplines, talk with students about it, adjust adjust um, adjust assignments in order to uh, to engage with students on it, uh, but not run away from it. Or as Kathy said, either not put your head head in the sand about it because it's 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 a fact of it's a fact of life. Super powerful technology. Uh, figure out how we we can use this to help ourselves get better as professionals and help our students get better as professionals in a way that's I guess with eyes wide open to to the limitations. So not not overly enthusiastic about it. Sort of like a critical open mindedness. I think is 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 how I would characterize the approach. So no no. To, the short answer is no firm policy has been developed around this, uh, but a lot of people have been in conversations with it about it uh, even even before the arrival of uh, of ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think Lehigh's done a great job and has another example of where they applied AI in the academic context in turnitin.com, which is a piece of software that we've been using for a while. Greg could tell us exactly how long we've been using it. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's software where professors can ask students to turn in their papers and the software will uh, analyze whether the students plagiarized or not. And, you know, when it first, first was implemented, it, you know, it, it was new and it seemed like the professors were kind of being big brother on the students and I'm going to check, but it's, it's become very accepted by the students that professors are going to use it. Uh, it's going to check for plagiarism. I'm going to be upfront with you. I'm telling everyone I'm putting my papers through this. Um, I actually set it up so my students could look at the uh, similarity report 
ahead of time before it's even due and they could submit over and over and over. And I think this has become a, a good success story at Lehigh on a tool that we implemented in the space of academic integrity that's really been successful and I think accepted by most of the students. I think that probably goes back to the, the, the example that Greg opened this with, which was, you know, the students saying, you know, give us some credit. And we're the ones that, that aren't doing that, that they're, you know, the students who want to be creative and want their own work to stand out both, uh, you know, now and throughout their lives are not going to be threatened by that. And they also want you as a professor to be aware of the situation and and don't make it easy for someone to slide through if they do choose to, right? And the things that Kathy was talking about, talking with your students about this, using using Turnitin, you know, just revealing to your students that A, you're aware of this uh, tool, B, um, it's not the right thing to do in, in, in the situations as you define them, and C, you're going to, you know, you're going to ask everybody to submit their work in this way. It just creates a level playing field of expectations that that says to the students, I care enough about it. I value academic integrity because I value your ideas and I want I want to prepare you for success. And those other pathways are not pathways forward to success. And um, and let's get to the good stuff. Right. Let's let's get to the stuff that we're really all here to learn. And um, and as Kathy said, it saves an enormous amount of time for the professors doing what might end up being rote work of you know doing a Google search for, or other searches for every sentence that a student says that would be maddening. Um, so Turnitin is, is, a, is, an AI, is an AI run system that um, that very quickly is able to do this. And I, I'll say that they are working on a on a generative AI detector as well. Um, as with everything else, I suspect that will have some efficacy, but um, it will, you know, certainly not be certainly not be perfect. But I think it's enough to give a heads up to students to say we care about this in this particular assignment. You know, this is this is not how you're supposed to proceed, and we have these tools in place that are going to help us, um, you know, assure that um, that you and the other students are treated fairly. All right, this has been fascinating, and we could go on for much longer, I'm sure. Um, but we're we're running out of time. So I'd like to thank Kathy and Greg for being with us today. It's been a lot of fun and I've learned a lot. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Jack. Thanks for hosting it and for uh, you know for for sharing perspectives on this topic. Uh, again, this is a, a revolutionary moment in in how we're all thinking about this subject. So uh, this I'm sure this won't be the last conversation that the folks hear from Lehigh on this topic. Kathy Riding's research has been published in journals such as Journal of Management Information Systems, the Database for Advances in Information Systems, and the Journal of Strategic Information Systems. She teaches courses in electronic commerce, business data management, and business application programming. Greg Ryman has served as point person and pilot tester in explorations of new educational technology at Lehigh such as the integration of digital audio, podcasting, wikis, blogs, discussion boards, virtual realities, and project-based collaborative learning. He also teaches courses in the philosophy department. This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business Blog. To hear more podcasts featuring Lehigh business thought leaders, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu news. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Lehigh Business. This is Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>